Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Graham Aaron underscore Dugan. We are officially in the offseason, so we'll get to a few nuggets here on the front end, Aaron, of news and information around the SEC. But the vast majority of the show today will feature a comedian. And we're going to try to bring you some Southern culture from time to time, music and personalities, you know, not just football all the time. But we've got a comedian on the show, Corey Forrester, of course, from the well-read comedy tour with Trey Crowder and Drew Morgan. He's also an author, the the liberal redneck manifesto, easy for me to say, through the Screen Door podcast as well. You can catch him on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Corey R. Forrester on both of those. Just absolutely hilarious dude. Um, and, And Aaron, before we get into the show today, we do have to tell people you're not going to agree with everything he has to say, but that's okay. We, we want people to be sort of pushed out of their comfort zones and out of their boundaries. And he has a certain personality. It's very funny. You're not going to agree with everything he has to say, but that's okay. And we want this show to be a place where we can all disagree and still be friends at the end of the show. And he is such an anomaly, but he is so hilarious. I think there's probably a part of something that he says that you will be, able, everyone will be able to relate to. Um, don't have to agree upon. I, I agree with that. We can agree to disagree sometimes, and that's totally healthy. And I will say that I'm thankful for him for two unrelated reasons. One, because he's helping pull the comedic weight this week, which is normally all on my back. And two, because he's an easy. I'm not done. And two, he is. I get the borderline ginger label and he's like full on ginger. So he's taken the gingerness away and he's helping me carry the comedic weight. And for those reasons, I'm thankful. I actually had no idea you got the ginger uh, label. I have never given you the ginger label, so I don't get, I don't. Have you, you not? Blame, I you get can't it. blame me for that. People, it's like people are colorblind when it comes to my hair. People either think it's red or think it's brown and they totally disagree with each other. I don't well, get it. I am not the person to be asking about this. That is for sure. I never, don't, don't lump me in with all these other ginger haters just because, you know, you may not have a soul. It's not my fault, you know? For don't some reason, I associated you with that, but um, okay. <laughs> well, there is no question that he is funnier than both of us combined. And you are quite funny. He is extraordinarily funny. Yeah. And it, listen, again, we don't talk a lot of politics with him. It's a lot about SEC stuff and growing up in the South. He's a hilarious story about how his family changed teams like on a dime uh, really, really funny stuff. Sort of how he, his favorite cities to tour in the SEC. Um, you know how he, how he portrays the South when he's doing comedy in the North, and how we're all much more alike than you think. So it's not a lot of. There's only a couple of things in there, a couple of moments in there where, you know, if you disagree with him, you might cringe a little bit. But again, that's what we want people to. We just want to challenge people to think outside of their comfort zones. And I don't agree with everything he has to say, but he's damn funny. So just enjoy it and laugh and. And, and we'll let him do the work this week on the, on the show, Aaron. So before we get to a couple of pieces of news, again, Corey Forrester going to be our guest. Of course, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar on West End here in Nashville, brought to you by the great folks at Four Top Hospitality. It's, uh, it's sort of like a, an elevated sports bar with like a kick-ass menu by a really badass chef and Deb Paquette. So like, go. You can drink a cocktail named after another podcast. We're still working. Aaron on getting How a, actively. Are you working? Um, Don't lie. A, an email or two. Does that count? 
It seems pretty minimal, but we, okay. We, I mean, right now we're all snowed in. We can't have like person to person. You can't meetings. send emails because you're snowed in. No, I oh, mean, person like person to person. Yeah, like there's a pandemic and we're snowed in. I can't exactly like just go over to the office and like sit down and and start tasting beverages with them. You know, this but is like you know that's a good point. I should just start walking there because I could really get a leg up on you and Adam by just posting up there all week because you guys can't get there and I can get there on foot. And I'm like, listen, mother bleepers. I got a leg up. Just go in there and sandbag the gold standard. Just go in there and be like, this drink is garbage. Just like the gold standard. We need a, we need a, a a drink for diehard sec crazies. That's what we need. We need, we do need that. We need a tequila drink that makes people go fringe element. That's what we need. All right. Doesn't take much. Yeah, I know. Not in the SEC. That is for sure. So again, go to Jasper's free parking, I should say. Huge space, 9,000 square feet. So if and when Nashville is like able to drive around and go do things, uh, go check it out. They got the grab and go market, of course. They've got the huge bar, little library area with all the vibes. I think we said uh, Jasper's. It's an entire vibe, I think, last week. We did say that. I mean, you did. Yeah. And then I left. Yeah, you did. Because you were trying to explain the word gyrating right before that, which... If, if you go, you guys go back and watch last week's just little video clip um, of Braden trying to explain what the word gyration is. And he doesn't hashtag doesn't get it. And <laughs> I don't know what gyrating it means. might make you laugh or just make you feel really disturbed. No, you definitely don't know what it means. Gyrate. Means you think to... gyrating is putting your hands in the air? Kind yeah, of in the gy- shape gyration of the just means to like you know, like spin about and flail about and spin about. Yeah. Like spin like a top or spin around or flail or gyrate, like contort yourself and like make a bunch of motions. And if you, you'd be more likely to find next to the word gyrate in the dictionary, you'd be more likely to find the phrase booty pop than you would spin around. All right. Hang on. Shut the hell up. Gyrate, gyrate definition, move or cause to move in a circle or spiral, especially quickly. Hold on. Give me a second. End of discussion. Dance no, in a wild like... dance in a wild or suggestive manner. Basically what you did your entire college career. First of all, it's called <laughs> it's called being an athlete in college. I don't know if you know anything about that. I, I do not. Um and yeah, so that's you should have looked up the urban dictionary. Oh, is there is there no, is there one that the kids use that I have no clue about? Let's see. <laughs> This now yeah, this is possible. Is. This is totally <laughs> possible. This is totally possible that there's yeah, another. Yeah, there is another one. Oh, what does it mean? To shake hips or body provocatively. That's pretty close to the same thing, like twerking, right? Before used in a sentence. Before MTV, girls had no idea how to gyrate in their shorts. Which that feels like it's um I mean, uh, men can gyrate too. Let's not put it all on women, but right. Yeah. Equal opportunity gyration. There's certain things you're supposed to look up in Urban Dictionary, and there's certain things you're supposed to look up on Merriam-Webster. That's an Urban Dictionary one. I, I can't believe. Well, can, can somebody give me a list then, please, of which words belong in which fucking dictionary? Yeah, just ask me on Come a case on. by case basis. I can probably Jesus, rattle it Jesus off. Christ. We digress. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, quick couple of quick notes here before we get to Corey. Um, all right, and special thanks to Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. All right. Number one, Gus Malzahn is your new head coach at Central Florida. So UCF loses a coach to Tennessee. And then upgrades and hires Gus Malzahn. If you're a UCF fan, I think you'd rather have Gus Malzahn than, than Josh Heupel. If you're a Tennessee fan, I think you'd rather have Gus Malzahn than Josh Heupel. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Um, it's I'm UCF. I'm all jacked up. Good hired me. It'll sell to your fan base. It's new, shiny. 
it has experience. It can recruit. I mean, what you couldn't, you didn't show signs of being able to recruit in Georgia this past year, two or three, but I think you're going to think you're overall doing an okay job. So I'm pumped if I'm a, if I'm a golden knight. Number one, I'm going to refer to all new coaches from now on as an it. I like that. Uh, number, <laughs> num- number two, I bet you there was a lot of gyration in Orlando. Sure. Orlando Orlando gyrates just routinely, like on a regular basis. There's a lot of gyration in Orlando. You're showing signs of understanding. I've been to Orlando. It's it's like a parallel universe. But now you get Gus Malzahn. So I don't know. I'm pretty excited. If I'm if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm kind of going, uh, did we try hard enough? I'm confused if I'm a Tennessee fan, but that's nothing new. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're real stoked if you're UCF and you're kind of sort of scratching your head if you're a volunteer. And, and if you're, here's a question for you. If you're Gus Malzahn and you were offered the job and said, no, wouldn't you leak that? Wouldn't you want it out there that Tennessee wanted you, but you said, no, no, I'm good. Like, isn't that, doesn't that make you look good? Cause you would not leak it at all. If you're Tennessee. I mean, we, Denny White said like Josh Heupel is our number one choice, blah, 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 blah. Like, like if you're, if you're Gus, wouldn't you have leaked that? Hey, I turned down the Tennessee job. That doesn't really chime as being. Gus Malzahn style to me. If you're Lane Kiffin, you absolutely do. It did, that doesn't really ring true necessarily for me with Gus. You do you do a TikTok like waving waving to Knoxville? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are certain coaches that for sure would have done that. I just, I no, that I don't put that in the sweater vest category. Okay, classier right. than that. Well, we're gonna we're gonna run the ball left. We're gonna run the ball right, and we're not gonna leak any information to anybody about nothing. All right. <laughs> Gus Malzahn, everybody, your UCF head football coach, which is basically now the Alabama. It is like the Alabama of the AAC, whereas with Auburn, you probably had lesser talent, quote unquote, lesser talent than Alabama, A&M, Georgia, and LSU. Well, now you should have the best players. So I, I think UCF way out punched its, its, uh, its weight there. So congratulations to UCF. Gyrate away, I, Orlando. I think he'd be a great long-term answer for them. I'd be interested to see if, if they are a long-term answer for him but there's lots of nice golf courses around there and get some sun how do you how do you think the pressure of becoming the head coach at UCF after some recent bouts of pretty pretty significant success how does that compare to coming off the Auburn job where you're constantly trying to outplay the best college football coach in history I I would I would assume that his belt is two notches looser yeah I think it has to be just so much more relaxed just Plus, again, if you've been to Orlando, you know what we're talking about. It's just, <laughs> a, it's just a little different down there. Um, all right. So a couple of things from the Florida press conference before we get to Corey here. So Dan Mullen was the, Dan Mullen and, and Scott Strickland, the AD at Florida, did a press conference about their spring practice. And there's not going to be a spring game at Florida. I've got another idea I want to run past you. But he said he never talked to anybody in the NFL. So that was a totally fabricated story. I don't believe him, but I also don't think he ever really wanted to leave either. So it's a, it's one of those must lie situations, right? Where you just kind of have to say, no, 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 no. There was there, nothing to see here. Move along, move along. But he used the word, and I think this was about discussing college coaches going to the NFL. He used the word uncertainty about the future of college football. And to me, this just reeks of like the old guy in charge scared of losing power because name, image, and likeness is coming. You know, we had the racial injustice stuff. People want transfer more portal transfer. Exactly. People want more transparency in the sport of college football. Me, I want more transparency in the sport of college football. You know, like the budgets are a little bit tighter than we all thought. Like, it's just, 
it just reeks of somebody that's, I don't know, complaining about something. Like you make a bunch of millions of dollars to coach a, a football team in the SEC at the highest level. What, what ins- uncertainty? What are you talking about? It comes with the job. Deal with it. <laughs> it also seems like I know that those factors we just talked about are coming. And yeah, maybe there's more uncertainty than there. I guess there definitely is more uncertainty than there once was. But I think it's hard to wipe your slate clean of everything that happened this year, which we basically saw that the model of college football has the potential to kind of financially crash, like given, you know, what happened, but we're not going to be knock on wood. We're not going to be in a global pandemic every year. So I think we might be aggregating kind of the stress of adding some of the stress of this year and the, and the instability onto it. And it seems more unstable than it really is. Also consider the source. Yeah. <laughs> what, have, what have we talked about all year with Dan Mullen? Foot firmly placed in mouth. Should probably stay there more than it does. <laughs> um, now, stri- now I'm going to combine sort of the uncertainty and the transparency conversation with something Scott Strickland said, which is there's not going to be a spring game, which is, uh, you know, look, spring games are for families. They're for kids. They're for friends to get together. It's, it's not a real game. It's not a real, it's barely even a practice. It is for people to come to a stadium and pretend that there's a football game which is fun. It's like at Vanderbilt, you know, your the kids all come by and get to sign and get, get autographs from players. Like it's about, frankly, it's about families and kids and maybe getting to tailgate and smoke some meat or whatever. Like it's just about a fun day. And so that sucks that that's not going to happen by and large across the entire country. But it got me thinking like there's no transparency in, in college football in the NFL. You get to watch practice as a media member and then report what you see at least in the college football. You can't do any of that. Nobody's going to see any of these spring practices for any of these big SEC schools or anywhere else really across the country. How much would you pay? How much would people pay to watch a live stream, maybe with commentary, maybe some multiple camera angles? Like how much would people pay to be able to actually watch every minute? You know, you pay $59.99 and you get to watch every second of Texas A&M's practice. You get to watch the quarterback. Hey, how battle. much? $59.99 for like the whole, the whole year or whatever. Every single minute where no one gets to see anything ever, right? Like you're not, no media is allowed to go watch practice. No media is allowed to watch the quarterback competition. No media is allowed to watch, you know, one-on-one drills or team drills or scrimmages. Scrimmages would be awesome. I would totally pay to watch scrimmages. Like if you actually got to, if I actually got to watch Josh Heupel's offense against Josh, against Tim Banks defense in a scrimmage, I would totally, like I would totally pay to watch that, but I would do it for the whole SEC. So from start to finish, you live stream every second of every practice. So you get access to stuff it's you've never seen. very hypothetical. <laughs> oh, it'll never happen. I'm just saying, I'm just curious. Like what, $29.99 for, um, for, for 15 practices? Like, because the schools need revenue streams, right? And, and the fans want more access to their teams. The coaches will hate the idea, but I'm just floating it out yeah, there. You won't like, be able to get anything done. Well, I, I'm just saying assume. I know. It's hypothetical. It, I get it. Here's the other thing about this that drives me crazy because the NFL literally does this. The NFL, every single practice is open to the media. Every single practice, every single practice in college football is not. And that, I think that's, I think that's bad. I think it's bad for the sport. Coaches are paranoid. Like what, what, what is going to happen if fans get, if Texas A&M fans get to watch the quarterback battle, what, what's going to happen to Jimbo Fisher? Are they going to lose five more games this year because fans got to watch the practice? Like what? Probably not. The only reason I think instead of that, they'd be more worried about, in my experience, they're always more worried about who's wearing the red jersey, who can't get hit, who's hurt. That's That was everyone's main concern, especially from a video perspective of 
you know, you film something, you make sure that nobody who is sitting out because of injury of any sort is in any way, shape or form in seen in the background of anything so that maybe that's a concern too it, it is but guess what the nfl has to put every single one of those injuries specifically the body part on a list every wednesday thursday and friday like i just i the nfl doesn't crumble do you think that's helpful for but think about it from the do you think is that helpful for the athlete well it's helpful for the gamblers i mean that's why that's why yeah it's so that's so I disagree with it. It's not helpful for the athlete to tell, oh yeah, his right knees screwed. Like that could make him a target. I don't, I don't, I think that's a, that's a money thing. That's a I, decision I based going. on money and not an athlete, which you know where, what side I'm on. I, I see where you're going with that one for sure. Protecting, especially an 18 or 19 year old kid. I, yeah, I, like, I totally get what you're saying. I guess I'm talking full trend. Like the NFL is full transparency across the board in every aspect. Mm-hmm. And it, and it doesn't change the competitive balance. Right. I think these coaches in college football, they think it's going to give them some competitive advantage because they're closing their practices and you can't see what's going on and you can't see who's taking first team reps and you can't see. And it makes us worse fans. It makes the media worse at their job because then we just sit out here and speculate all the time, which I, if I was a coach, I'd much rather just tell you the information than have a bunch of talking heads speculate about it. And the other side of that transparency coin is Art Bryles, Joe Paterno, LSU, Jameis Winston. Those are all the things that are on the other side of the we can keep it as quiet as we want to coin. But are they on the other side of you can't observe practice coin? Like, I don't. It's about power, right? These coaches have power and they can keep everything behind a wall. And if they can keep everything behind the wall, what happens? You keep rape cases behind the wall. You keep bad coaches behind the wall. You keep Zach Smith behind the wall. You keep, you see, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I'd have to make a list. I think I wouldn't be able to make a black or white decision on how I felt about that, but I could go down a list and say what I thought should be transparent and what shouldn't. Cause I do think that things could fall on either side of that. You like, know, like title nine should be transparent knee right. injuries. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe we got to <laughs> go on a case by case. <laughs> I just want to see, I just want more transparency in the sport. I think it's better for everybody. Maybe the, maybe the injury to the athlete is where we draw the line. I see your point on that, but I just, I just think the, the lack of transparency is a problem that corrupts the sport and I don't like it. And the NFL doesn't give a shit about any of this stuff. They don't care mm-hmm. at all. I would love to watch the quarterback battle at AM this, this spring. I would pay money to watch some of this stuff. Like, I don't know. Just, just a thought. Yeah, no, I mean, I could hear you out on that. All right. End of rant. Um, all right. So our guest today on the show, of course, fringe element brought to you by Jaspers, Corey Forrester of the well-read comedy tour, uh, liberal redneck manifesto the book he's got all kinds of really cool stuff at Corey r forrester on twitter and instagram uh without further ado our conversation with the hilarious georgia bulldog fan Corey forrester Corey, first of all man thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time we really appreciate it and uh, love your work big fan of all the stuff you do and um l- let's get started before we get into some sec stuff and some college football and sort of uh, is that what di- we're doing? Yeah, baby. That's is okay it a political podcast? What? <laughs> there, are, there are other topics in the world to discuss. Oh, uh, my God. Don't I know it? I know. But let, let's get started. I was reading, and you can tell me if this is true or not. I, you sort of had the vision for your career pretty early on. And I, I'm just curious, is that is that normal for people in your line of work? Or is that something that you kind of fall into? Just sort of explain how you ended up doing what you're doing, man. I, th- I think everyone that goes into entertainment probably at some point was singing as a kid or, you know, like, like I feel like that's a thing that that's a dream you have when you're young. And the reason I think that is because it's a stupid dream. And that's what 
kids have is these stupid unattainable dreams. Like people always go, you should, whatever you wanted to do at five, you, that's what you should do. And it's like, you know, the old ad is like, well, then no one would be a plumber. Like there's not one person on earth that'd be like, I want to be a plumber, but we have to have that. So, but when I was a kid, yeah, like five years old, I used to watch Carson and Leno and, and with my dad. And I just saw the way that, that he reacted to those dudes, you know? And I just thought, Oh, that'd be cool. And, but I, but I didn't at five, I knew I wanted to do it. But I didn't think I could do it because the one similarity that all those guys had is that the, every single time they were from California or New York. So I was like, "Why well, I can't do that. And then one day I was watching TV at my grandmother's house. I was sitting on the ground and I was watching TV and this guy comes up and he looks just like my uncle and he sounds just like my uncle. And he told this joke. I'll never forget. He said, and you, this will probably give away who I'm talking about. He goes, uh, if you, if you, or if your new TV is sitting on top of your old TV, you might be a redneck. And why that spoke to me is because that was the situation at my granny's house. Like her old, her new TV was on top of her old TV. And at that moment I realized like, oh my God, if Jeff Foxworthy can do it, then somebody like me can do it, you know? So I should not tell my four-year-old that she can be president of the United States. She can. She absolutely can tell her she can be the sixth female president. <laughs> Don't say first, because that's going to set her up for a lifetime of, you know, heartache. But Four minute mile. Yeah. Yes. Roger Bannister. Thank you. Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister. I bring that up all the time. Corey, do you have hopes, not to get deep really quickly, but do you have hopes for what you're doing that you can set an example for, you know, kids or people coming from your area? Because you're right. The mirror helps. If you can see it, you can become it. So what is your hope, like kind of your influence for kids that came from, you know, the same place you came from? I mean, I haven't really you know, to be awful. I haven't really thought about it that much. It has been presented to me and now I think about it, but like, I really didn't have, God, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm relating <laughs> no. myself, but I didn't have a me like Jeff Foxworthy was my, Hey, he's Southern. And he, because of that, you can be a comedian. But when I was that age, I didn't know what politics was. I didn't know I didn't know none of that stuff. And, and so when I was a kid growing up and, and I, I became a, a maybe, you know, let's say more of a left wing type of dude, there wasn't a uh, like uh, a blueprint for that. I just knew that's it would have been a lot easier. It would have been a lot easier and a lot less confusing for me <laughs> to be like, I don't know why I feel this way neither. It's weird. Like, so, yeah, maybe I hope that, that there's somebody out there that sees me in a maybe not in comedy, but in the same way that I saw Jeff Foxworthy, which was, oh, wow that guy's done the same thing. Like I can't, I, I'm not weird for wanting to do this. That's okay. There's kind of a blueprint for it. So like, yeah, that's a weird thing to think about because that makes, uh, thinking about that makes me realize that there is a responsibility to the stuff that I do and say, and that's a very new thing for me because I've been this guy forever, but relative anonymity up until the last five years with Trey and the, and the well-read tour. But still it was like, you know, I'm still like the, wide receiver number two you know what I mean like I'm on the team I'm making a splash but like no one's really looking at me they're looking at, at Brady you know what I'm saying and now that I'm in more of an out front position I actually look at my tweets for like a minute before I send them you know what I mean like like I'm going oh no well we'll see and then I'm deleting a lot after five minutes so in, instead of going to college and exploring like drugs and sexuality you went and explored like social safety nets like that's what happened to you <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i did plenty of drugs and sex i just didn't go to college uh and and i i, I used to be uh that's how i had time for the drugs and the sex 
And uh, I don't see how people in college have uh, sex and drugs. Like, don't you have to take tests and stuff? Like, how are you getting all this ass? Um, but <laughs> I always used to think, like, I was always so proud of not going to college because I was always like, man, no, I, I'm going to do it without that, you know? And, like, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it doesn't sometimes make me happy to have a really nice house and a paid-off car and not be writing a check to a loan every month. Like, that's awesome, and I am proud of that. But now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm I'm more wary to say that out loud because I don't want kids <laughs> to hear that and be like, I ain't learning shit, you know? I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to do what this idiot did because like, I think I've gotten really, really lucky and I think I was really, really blessed. Uh, so if, maybe if I, I think if I'd have gone to college, I think I would maybe have found success earlier because I would have like known what to talk about. Cause I didn't go. So like I did, I started stand up comedy when I was 16. Let me tell you something for those that don't know between the ages of 16 to 24, if you don't go to college, you really don't have shit to talk about like there. You don't know nothing. You know what I mean? Like I had no new experience. It was just, how can I explain to these people once again about my winner for eight years or whatever? And that was it, you know? So I'm, I'm a go, go to school if, if you need to go to school. So how did you end up finding that th this was the subject matter you wanted? We'll, we'll talk football in a second. How, how is it? Because, you know, Aaron's from the Tennessee. I've lived, you know, 35 out of 38 years in, in below the Mason Dixon line and, in your state, in Georgia, in Texas, in Tennessee. And I, I took me till I was like 30, 35 years old before I even became interested in some of this stuff. Yeah. How, how did you know that was going to be the thing that you cared about, that you were passionate about, but also really good at at the same time? Well, that's funny you bring that up because like uh, I'm, I'm one of the, I don't know if Trey suffers from this. I use the word suffer. We all suffer for art. It's our cross to bear. But I felt like I was, I never thought of myself as a, like a political comedian. I really still don't, but pe but I was told that one day and I was like, huh, man, damn, you're right. That is kind of what I do. But I always like before Trump, it was more, I always, I considered myself someone who talked about societal issues, but I was like, that's what, like, if you go down the line and for the record, I always preface this by saying, I'm not comparing myself to the people I'm about to say. I'm just saying when you go down the line and most people's Mount Rushmore of comedy, everybody that they mention, your Richard Pryor, your George Carlin, you know, Dave Chappelle, Bill, all these dudes, one thing they have in common is they spoke about stuff that was hard to talk about. You know what I mean? They weren't, and for the record, Jerry Seinfeld's on mine and he's the complete opposite of that. Brian Regan's absolutely tremendous. I'm not saying you have to, but there seems to be a through line in who we as a society decide is great. So those were the guys that interested me and they were always talking about stuff that was uncomfortable to talk about and things that they believed in and they were able to make that funny. And so what I had to do early on in order to do that, because I, I grew up doing stand-up comedy in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which for Tennessee is a progressive area. But that's like being, you know, well, it's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know, like it's a good one. So, so sorry, Tennessee. I love you. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Like if you, like oh, in Tennessee, yes, it's progressive. But if you brought somebody from Brooklyn to Chattanooga, they'd be like, oh my God. So I wanted to talk about all these things, but I had to find a way to do it, get, speak what was on my mind, but also not get my ass whipped by the primarily conservative audience. And I remember the first like societal issue joke that I ever wrote. It ended up being my closer on 
our first album, Well Read Live in Lexington. But I changed it a little bit, and I'll explain how I did that. It was about the don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. Uh, the, the, the president that I started doing comedy under was George W. Bush. I've been doing it for a while. And during the Obama administration, they hadn't yet uh, 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 taken out the don't, don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. And I thought that was the wildest thing. And so I had this big bit on like, what do you think is going to happen? You know, like what, what, on, how would this affect you? Like, and the whole bit does this walkthrough of these two soldiers who are in a foxhole and they got bullets flying past their head and bombs going off everywhere. And it's just chaos. And they've got that ringing in their ear, like Tom Hanks from Saving Private Ryan is, oh, and the one guy looks over at his buddy and goes, you know what, man? I'd sure like to suck your dick right now. Like that's not, that's not ever going to happen. That's never going to be a problem. And don't ask, don't tell got repealed, which was great. And I had a lot of people tell me, they go, uh, man, cause that joke it ended up being like 15 minutes long. And it was my closer. And as comedians are wanting to do, they were like, man, it sucks that they repealed that because you're going to, you can't do that joke no more. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, but the point of the joke was that I hated the policy. So I'm glad that it's gone. And, and trust me when I say this, something will come along just as shitty that will replace this. And I was right. Oh, no, <laughs> I was right. A couple years later, they do the whole transgender ban. And I had the same joke. And everywhere that I said gays in the military, I just replaced it and put transgenders in the military and it worked. And then I closed an album with it. So my point is, is that I was doing that before Trump, but that was like, to me, that has nothing to do with who the president is. That's like people, you know, there's, there's people in the Republican party who think gay people should have rights. I know there are, I, I, I my mom exists, you know what I mean? But when Trump became president, it was like, to me, oh my God, I've got to really draw like a pretty public line in the sand because I know, look, the way I dress, trucker cap, the way I sound, the way I look, mustache, mutton chops, I look like everyone that MSNBC is showing on the side of the road going, make America great again. And I need so badly for everyone to not think that of me that I'm going to be even louder about it than they are. So that was the shift to me. I think if um, it would be, you know, a lot of people say, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. I know a lot of people say, oh, when Trump's gone, you comedians are going to be hurting. I've actually had more success in the past two months since his ass has been gone than I ever have in my life. So I don't believe that. But it would be disingenuous for me to say that Trump's presidency didn't start me on a path that I think ultimately is what my entire life has been leading up to, if that makes sense. It definitely does. And it does seem like everything that I've watched that you've done, Corey, is like it it feels political because of the times. And I guess it is. But it really everything you're doing just dials all the way back to right versus wrong. Do you feel like it's that simplistic for you? Yeah, I really do. And that's why, like, I I genuinely believe that before Trump came in office, I I mean, I I was an adult when when Mitt Romney and Barack Obama were debating. And I just remember people being kind of adults about it. Don't get me wrong. There was there's obviously outliers down here that, you know, Barack Obama being black. That was an issue. But like for the most part, I don't think people were really see. They're like, well, you know, down here. My point is, is that they hated all of them. They literally hated all of them. They fucking hated every single politician. And then Trump became president and they were like, 
yeah, see, we like him because he's not a politician, but then they became even more Republican. Like anybody that is a Republican, they stand up for him no matter what the fuck they do. But to me, it was always like, look, yes, sometimes like Bill Clinton did a lot of wrong shit. He got impeached for it. Right versus, it always comes down to right versus wrong. I feel like though, for the past four years, coincidentally, (laughs) wrong has been on one side. That's how I feel. Obviously, I'm just a stupid comedian and uh, I try to come at everything, even if I'm doing political jokes, I try to come to it from a silly, stupid point of view because to me, that's the only thing I'm qualified to do. I'm not Jon Stewart. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I'm closer to somebody with the brain of Brian Regan that just happens to want to do political stuff. So, so then let's, cause this is just a stupid podcast. I mean, there's, let's, let's be honest. I think um, it's brilliant. <laughs> go you go on. on it. Go, go on. Um, so let, let's, let's, let's get into football here. Let's get into sports. And because I, I do think oh, yeah. you sorry. are a, you are a Georgia fan, correct? Yep. Honorary oh. Georgia alum. Honorary. Yes. They're going to make it official. I promise. <laughs> So I guess just first and foremost, where did you find that from the beginning? Like, was that family? Was that a person in your life? Was that a game? Was that a moment? Was it Herschel? Just, to, you know, what, what, what was it that, that drew you to the, to the sport? Because we all have that moment as diehard college football fans. And then just, you know, what has it been like since 19, the early 80s, being a Georgia Bulldog fan? Well, I actually have an interesting relationship with the Georgia Bulldogs uh, uh, because I grew up, my family grew up as Tennessee fans. And my papa felt that Tennessee fucked Johnny Majors over in a bad way. And that day, my pa- I swear to God, my papa <laughs> took all his Tennessee jerseys, the pennants, everything that he had in Tennessee, went out into the yard. I'm not, I know, this is the act of a lunatic. I'm saying this, but it, but it happened. Out into the yard poured gasoline on it, set it on fire, and said, fuck Tennessee, son, we're Bulldogs now. Went completely – I mean, it's literally like Joe Walsh leaving the leaving the Republican Party over Trump. And my dad was just like, all right, and we're Georgia fans from then on. And I grew up knowing no different. I didn't know that story until later in life. The only thing that I remember being weird is that I remember growing up a Georgia fan. However, there's a picture of me at the Citrus Bowl – wearing a Peyton Manning jersey as a child, like I was a little child. And uh, my dad was like, well, we got invited by some Tennessee fans and I wanted us to fit in, so I got you a Peyton Manning jersey, which I still love Peyton Manning to this day. But that's my—that's the only, like, chink in my UGA armor, I guess, is that picture that I hope never surfaces. My grandfather was a defector, <laughs> I guess, as it were. Your dad, like, stuck by that. He was yeah. like, "Yes, wow. Yeah, my dad. <laughs> He's my really dad, selling it. Yeah, my dad was like, if that's what, because he loved his dad, and he was like, and I think my dad felt that Johnny Majors has been fucked over too, and so, yeah, it, it blows my mind because I genuinely don't know what the University of Georgia would have. To, it would probably, honestly, have to be some Penn State level shit, you know what I mean? Before I was like, Ooh, I don't know, like if they threw Kirby Smart off a bridge, I'd be like, we'll get somebody else, you know, <laughs> we'll figure it out. But yeah, that's why I'm a Georgia fan. Maybe he'll learn a new offense on the way down. Like that's yeah, that'd be awesome, right? How to how to win the big one. (laughs) Uh, So, what do you think of Kirby? Like, like the guy can recruit. The dude's got like Georgia written all over every haircut he's ever had. Like, what what do what do we think about Kirby right now? Well, everything you just said is absolutely true. 
Um, I think here's my thing is I keep going, well, I mean, God dang, ever since he's been here, he's done this and he's done that and he's got us there and he's got, and then I go, oh my God, this is exactly, exactly what we used to say about Coach Rick for so long is that he plays just good enough to where we cannot in any way justify firing him, you know, but we're never going to win the big one. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think that you can definitively say Kirby Smart's never going to win the big one because, frankly, we're living in the Nick Saban era. Like, you can't go Phil Mickelson was never going to get it done when he had – Phil Mickelson comes out of college, all right, in California as one of the best amateur golfers. And then a couple years later, here comes this guy. I don't know if you heard of him. Tiger fucking Woods. So it's not like Phil Mickelson just all of a sudden sucked. It's just that Jesus Christ himself came back and took over the sport. Like Kirby, it's not fair anybody living in this era to be judged as a coach when Nick Saban, who is this absolutely without question, there's a lot of arguments with Tom Brady. I don't think there's any with Nick Saban. Like, dude, I know everybody's going to talk about Bear Bryant. Fuck all that. It's Nick Saban. So, when that stops, then we'll see. But I don't. I think it's too early to call right now. I do. It smells like it. It smell. It kind of the same. He he has the same kind of attitude. So I don't know. I, I'm worried. And I told my. And and you're going. You might be offended by this because Trey and Drew. You know they're both both Tennessee fans. And I tell them all the time. I'm jealous that they suck because like at least they y'all don't have to think about shit. You don't have to go into any season being like this is it. Like y'all know it ain't it. They like, don't know. That's the problem. <laughs> Right. I would love to feel I would love to be able to give up week four is what I'm saying. Like, I know y'all do, but we don't get that. We have to get we have to be really good all year and then get our ass beat right at the end. Y'all don't know that that cross to bear. You don't have that. You just suck the whole time. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. They're my hands, Aaron, right there in the air. Jaspers. They go up every time. I can't stop it. I can't control it. I am sorry. I apologize. Go to Jasper's on West End. Can I borrow that sweater? I need an area rug for my room. I I feel a little bit like Ricky Bobby. I don't (laughs) don't know what to do with my hands. Um, No, you cannot. It's one of my favorite sweaters. Thank you. Free parking, socially distanced, tons of space, 9,000 square feet, fantastic elevated sports bar menu at Jasper's. They got all kinds of really great stuff. So instead of nachos, you get nichos. They got like shrimp cocktail and stuff. They got flatbreads. They got burgers. The Jasper dog is actually cut up in like in a burger form. It is one of the best hot dogs you'll ever have in your life. When did you try that? Oh, really early on. Really oh, early on. I haven't on. had that yet. I've been saving that one. That, that thing is spectacular. I am always the ballpark. I always get a hot dog every time I go to a baseball game that I'm not, well, if I wasn't working because I didn't really feel that professional, but big hot dog person. So I need to try that. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't think that because I'm kind of super health conscious, Yeah, but that's one of the outliers for me. Dude, the Jasper's dog, it is, it is outstanding. You will love it because I'm kind of with you. I really like ballpark food. I don't like football stadium food. I don't really like hockey stadium food. I don't like arena food, but I really like baseball food. So give me a hot dog, a cold beer and some peanuts. And I'll, I'll go to town in the outfield of a baseball game. If you don't have that to go to right now, you can go to Jasper's and get mm-hmm. the Jasper's dog and a cold beer or a gold standard cocktail, which is a whiskey drink named after another podcast. 
So completely unclassy. The podcast, I mean. <laughs> Mostly just the co-hosts on the show. Yeah. I mean one defi- I mean one defines the other. It's it's all like he's on it. So are you blaming yeah. me? You're not blaming me, right? I mean you picked him. Well, I mean, he's the best predators beat writer that there is. Here's like- let's go back. I don't want to talk about Adam because it's he doesn't deserve the attention. I want to talk about how at Jasper's <laughs> um, you won't have to worry about what, what throws me off about football stadiums. Is it any place that serves cheese room temperature freaks me out. So <laughs> cheese is supposed to be hot or it's supposed to be cold. It's not supposed to be room temperature. And at Jasper's they, they don't really lead with this, but they don't serve room temperature cheese there at all. <laughs> Jasper's we don't serve room temperature cheese. <laughs> Now, what about a charcuterie board, though? Well, it's... What happens Okay, then? I mean, I'd say that... Because you are a big charcuterie fan. I am. And there's... Maybe I should also say liquid room temperature cheese. <laughs> Does that help? If it comes out of a spigot. Yeah, you, no, we that's... Don't, we don't want that cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's a pump handle or a packet on your cheese, we don't want any of that. Yeah. Okay, I'm down, I'm down with that. Yeah, that's a good way to kind of sum it up. Come to Jasper's where our cheese is not a liquid. Yeah. <laughs> they should have to get their Instagram bio. <laughs> oh, God. Remember yeah. when I told you you should update we love you, your Jaspers. Instagram bio to a Kristen Cavalieri type? Because you said that straight up quote. About myself? Yeah. You said, I'm more of a Kristen Cavalieri type. And I've never <laughs> forgotten it. What was I, I don't even know what I was referring to. I think you're referring to not putting your... First, you're talking about pimping your daughters out and like making money off of them on Instagram. And then you're sorry, pimping wasn't a great word for you as a dad. Yeah, thank you but, for that. Um, and then you're like, no, I'm more like a Kristen Cavallari type. Like I keep my kids behind the scenes, but I yeah, like to I, take it I, out of context. Which I admire about the former Mrs. Cutler that she <laughs> oh, she keeps her kids out, never put them on the television show, never put them, you know, like doesn't show their faces on on the socials. I respect that about her. I think that's a great life choice. I approve of that. I don't, I'm not sure. Braden Gall sentence out of context is what it is. I'm not sure I approve of anything else she's ever decided, but I think she's done a really good job (laughs) keeping her kids off of the, out of the spotlight. All of those things you just said are fair. I would never have married Jay Cutler. That's all I'm saying. Go to Jasper's. (laughs) Sorry, Jasper's. This took a weird turn. (laughs) Oh, all right. Great free parking, West End, fantastic food. It, you know, it's just an excellent place to go socially distance, watch a game. You can take a date if you want and still keep an eye on the game and, and still feel like you're having a nice meal. Like it's just it's a fantastic place. Perfect neighborhood vibe to go have a cocktail and, and uh, relax and watch a game. So go to Jasper's. So I I love going to Athens. It was my favorite I've been to every SEC campus. I think Athens is my most favorite to go to a game. Um, what is your very favorite, most favorite Georgia football, Athens memory? And then I'll tell you a funny thing that happened to me in Athens. Oh, man. Uh, I know y'all said that nothing was off limits on this podcast, but there's definitely most of my Athens stories I probably can't tell. <laughs> my favorite Georgia football moment, like watching, was probably the hobnail boot. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, what? I was I was in the stadium for that. I was That's when I was in school. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It was, and and uh, and look, y'all's y'all's hail mary a couple years ago. I yeah. was watching that in Bakersfield, California, with Trey and Drew. We're the only two people there watching football. Everybody else, it's Californians. They don't they don't care about this. And I, when we caught the touchdown pass, the drive before, I ran, dude. I sprinted 
the whole bar just like neon Dion it y'all suck fuck y'all and then when that happened like I've never been more deflated so like y'all had your moments too but Hobnail Boat was probably the coolest to watch what was the other oh my craziest Athens stories man they all end up somehow with me blacking out at General Beauregard's (laughs) (laughs) that's all I know that's well, all I can remember. So, I'm just like, this happened, then I blacked out at General Beauregard's, and uh, and I got stung by a bunch of bees walking to the game one time. Let, let me – I love walking to games in Athens. I don't know why. It's just like yeah. the best place to walk to games. Let me ask it a different way then. Why is Athens such a cultural epicenter? Widespread panic, REM. You got all the, the-, the great concert halls for music. Yeah. You got uh, – like, what is it about Rise Athens? Rise and Feta? That, yeah, like, what is it about Athens that makes it – I mean – hate to go back to politics but it's like austin texas in the sense of it's a blue dot in the sea of red so all the hip southerners like well i can't just go to austin but i can go to athens you know and i mean frankly rem and those guys and the drive-by truckers my boys uh patterson what's up you you know like they made that scene so cool and it's just such a place to be and uh i mean yeah to me that just has to be i mean like at, at a certain point I, again, it's like I want to say, like, look, there's good people and there's bad people on both sides. But every city that's the coolest city in the world, what does it have in common? You know what I mean? There's not a bunch of people with fucking Trump bumper stickers. There's a bunch of people that really wish they were at Bonnaroo. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how it goes. Speaking of inclusivity, to kind of get us into this story, I went to been to Athens several times. But I went one time and we had a friend that was not 21 yet with us. Um, and I had a, you know my friend that actually went to Georgia was like, we can just pass IDs back. Like, it's no big deal. Just pass your ID back. We use it three people later. It'll be fine. So we did. And we were like, we need to pass back an ID. Well, somehow in the scuffle and we'd already been drinking my, one of my best friends from college, six foot five black guy, accidentally his ID got passed back to my five foot two brunette friend, white. And it worked. I've got the very opposite story where (laughs) but we did it on purpose. There was everybody was like, dude, it's so easy to get in if you're not 21. And one night we wanted to test it further that me and three of my buddies all went in with girls' IDs, got in fine. Now my one buddy, we were like, you're definitely gonna get in. Like you actually look just like her. But all of us got in. But the thing, the funniest part is, by the last person, the guy, the guy that was checking IDs, looked at it, looked at him, and went. And then let him in. So, like, they knew. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just didn't care. Like, it was a complete – I don't know if – I'm sure it's not like that now. I don't know that I can handle Athens now. I haven't been in a while because of the pandemic or whatever, and and I've changed a lot. Like, I'm I'm not the bar guy, you know. I kind of – I think I put out that energy, you know, online or whatever. I put out the, like, this is the fun party guy. And, I mean, I hate to quote Toby Keith, but I will. I probably am as good once as I ever was, but, like, that's about all I got in the tank now. But that I, I, I kind of almost get anxiety thinking about Athens because like it, it was like I, I'm sure you remember this, but like you almost couldn't have a good time because everyone's like, we have to go to these 27 bars tonight. And I'm like, but we won't even be able to get the drink when we get in there. So mm-hmm. it's just not my scene anymore. But I still but I love it. Like I love going down there for uh, for heathens and uh, and hanging out with the truckers and stuff. That's really that's my shit. Well, and this speaks to this speaks to what you do as well. Like you can't you have to have experiences to go through those things to be able to tell the stories. You have to sort of live those moments. Right. To be able to like, I'm sure I'm sure there's no difference with jokes. Right. Like you have to have gone through experiences. Yeah. And be able to truly tell those jokes. 
for sure. That's why the pandemic's been super hard for me because like, I'm like, I'm there. It's, it's almost impossible not to write the same type of joke every other day because nothing new is happening to me. Like it used to, when I, I write the best when I'm on the road because it's like I get off a plane in Portland, Oregon. I see a clown riding a unicycle. Something's there. You know what I mean? But like I'm just at my house every day. Now I have like um, this is the first year that I've actually been married. I've been married for a couple years, but I was on the road the whole time. Even our whole dating time. Like really, we're just now getting to know each other a little bit better. <laughs> um, so I'm just now starting to write the marriage material, because which otherwise I would have never had because I'm not the typical husband. Like I'm not nine to five at home every day. Like I'm, I'm gone two weeks at a time. Then I come home for three. And one of those is washing the clothes that I'm about to put right back in the suitcase. So like I, I'm getting a little bit of those experiences, but like, you know, I figured all that shit out in about three months and now we're in almost a year. So something's got to give. <laughs> like, obviously we've talked about Athens, but you've probably toured a lot of the, the, the SEC cities in the South. So any, any other places that you really love? And then is, is there a, 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 an obvious difference to how you deliver your material if you are in a non sort of southeastern area like if you're up in philadelphia versus birmingham do you, do you adjust your game do you change your style at all yeah first off to answer your first question oxford mississippi whoo <laughs> lord i have fun do you have to you know i found out the hard way that their bars close a little bit earlier than most people's do the first time i went there uh, my friend, uh, she's a writer, Alex McDaniel. My, y'all might know Alex. Yeah, she's she, great. She she used to live there at least, and so we'd always you know hang out and whatnot. And, and it's just a great scene. Um, I'm a I, I'm kind of a I, I love the they have Square Books, which is like the last remaining independent library or a, a bookstore. Which you know, there's a poster of me there. It's no big deal. But uh, so I really enjoy that place. <laughs> I really love the uh, I love looking at the old South. Is one of those things where it's so fun to look at. Until you start reading, then you're like, oh, that's why, you know, but it's but it's very pretty. Um, and how I change my material, yes, but not in the way that you may think. Um, because our crowd is our crowd. Like, we, we, we're so lucky that, like, every comedian wants to cultivate a crowd and have, like, their people come to their shows. So when I'm touring with Trey and them, it's very rare that I'm playing to an audience that doesn't know me when I walk into the room. And therefore they probably, they either a agree with most of the shit I'm about to say, which does make our shows quite a bit of an echo chamber. I ain't going to front, but it's a lot of fun. Or they're the husband of somebody <laughs> who really likes us and they've been, they're not going to say shit. So the only difference that when I'm in, when I'm in the South, um, I honestly probably poke fun at the South more in the South. And you'd think it would be the opposite. When I go to other places, I'm more in a defensive kind of position. I'm more in a, I know what y'all think about us, but let me tell you what we're really all about. Whereas in the South, I can talk, I can talk about pontoon boats and dip and cousin fucking because they're like, yeah, whatever, you know, like we're, we're making fun of ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you know, Hey, I can say that word, but you can't say that word. That's how it feels in the South. Like we can all do it. But when I'm in Philly, I'm like, I'm going to need y'all to understand that I'm a little bit more complex of a person than you're giving me credit for. And then I'll do the cousin fucking joke. So it's, it's funny you say what you said about how you react and interact with people differently, because I really don't want to wear, I don't ever wear Tennessee gear around, around, around Nashville. Like I just don't, I have no desire to part of it's the job. Part of it's just, everybody's got it on, but I will, I will, when I go see my family, I am rocking Tennessee gear everywhere in New York. I'm like, 
SEC, baby. Like, what, what's up? And, and it's just this weird, like, I'm so much more proud of it. Yeah. And like you said, we're more complex. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting you say it that way. No, I'm, I hear you. Like, honestly, I think my, when I go to New York, my accent actually is thicker for the time I'm in New York because, like, I'm trying to put it out there. And also, I found, I don't know about your experience because my accent's a little bit thicker than yours. I don't remember the last time I paid for a beer in New York City. You know, like, everybody's got that. Uh, that that st- everybody has stereotypes, not just of the South, but everywhere. Like uh, people in New York are mean. I mean, I'm sure that some of them are, but I found I've never been more welcomed by people because they don't treat my accent the way like your typical San Francisco person would, which is they're like, oh, look at this idiot. They're like, oh, say that again. That was fucking great. Come in, have a beer. Let's talk about Chippa Jones, huh? And that was it. Like once they found out I was a Braves, like hanging out in Queens, they're all Mets fans. Once they found out I was a Braves fan, then all of a sudden the accents didn't matter. And we were just two people from a working class area who liked baseball. And I had to convince these people one time when I was in Queens, we were talking and that this one dude, he just came up. He's like, yeah, this fucking redneck over here. And it was just, it was busting my balls. But I was like, finally, I was like, all right, man, like you call me a redneck. I see you. I want to, I want you to know something. I see you come in this bar every night. All right. I know you work in a factory. You're still wearing your uniform. You're working in a factory. You come in the same small town bar every single night. Every single night you come in here and you bitch about your old lady. Literally, the (laughs) only difference between you and my uncle is the fact that my uncle has a sweet-ass fucking truck. And he goes, I'd love to have a truck. And I was like, I know. You're a redneck. You're a worse one. And then, like, we just all, like, at that, that bar in Queens, we all just agreed. We're like, yeah, you know, like, we're up, every, rednecks are everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter. Same, same, but different. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I, I hate, as a uh, Mets fan, I do hate Larry Wayne. I, I do hate that guy. <laughs> I hate him with a passion. <laughs> There's not, and I, I respect him. I respect him. I, I, I got it. He's a great switch hitter, blah, 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 whatever. Name your kid after something else, okay? Seriously. They, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, being a Mets fan up there, it was explained to me early on because every comedian in New York is a Mets fan, not a Yankees fan. And the reason for that, I'm told by every comedian, is that, well, comedians can identify with the Mets, but they can't <laughs> identify with the Yankees. Like, the Mets have never made it. Like, they're just, they fucking suck. They're going to suck again. Nothing ever works out for them. And what what more is uh, is <laughs> relatable to being a stand-up comedian in New York? Than suffering? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The commonality. A Mets fan and a Jets fan, you know. Much better material. The idea of like that, that story about you and this guy with totally different backgrounds, realizing that you're so much more similar than you re- than you realize on the surface. Yeah. Like, isn't that all just like, that's just all of us. Like this whole process, like if people just stop being so sensitive about everything and just talk to each other, I, I feel like we would realize that we're all kind of just the same person. I think yeah. that too, Braden, and like loop in, Corey, if you can, just, you know, just the fact that even though those conversations seem tough, that it's an important time to have them because all that does is really show you that, just like Braden said, like we're not as hot and cold as we think. That's 100% correct. Like I genuinely believe that we are mostly all more alike than we are different. We just don't ever talk about them with each other. We, you know, in the South, like, it's like, oh, we don't, we don't discuss that at dinner. It's like, I think it's time to start discussing it at dinner. Cause that's the only time we all hang out. When the fuck <laughs> else are we going to bring it up? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be at your house after dinner. I'm leaving. I got to go watch the game. But like, that's, and that's one of the things that I, I think, you know, earlier we talked about like, oh, Corey, do you want to be an example for young people? Uh, well, Jesus, I, yes. But primarily the thing that I've always wanted, literally always wanted in comedy is not 
is to show people our similarities through our differences, if that makes sense. Like, I've always wanted to be like, hey, look, uh, yes, politics this, but also the same the same people that are sitting here talking about politics are also goofy and love, we all love fart jokes and we've all had our heart broken and we all, like, we all love rap music and bluegrass at the same time. We're all this kind of weird amalgamation of all our shared experiences and we should just fucking say that to each other out loud all the time and be vulnerable because when we're vulnerable, uh, it lets other people be vulnerable and it lets them understand that that's okay. And then we can understand that it's just the politically corrupt and powerful who are trying to fuck us, not each other. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I don't know. It's just it. Like they've convinced all poor people to fight each other. <laughs> I just don't feel. And, and so that they can just stay up there and do their little thing. And they, and nobody wants us to talk like, you know, that whole, like a, that, that, around here, it's like, you don't talk about, don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics and don't talk about money. They want you to not do that. They want if you don't talk about money, then nobody can tell you, "Hey, I think you're getting fucked at your job." You know what I mean? Like we should talk about all that shit. They don't want us to do it. And you know, they win pretty much every time. But yeah, I've always wanted everybody to know no matter where you're at. One of my goals in life whenever I get either I'm going to pitch this and somebody's going to buy it or I'm just going to make a shit ton of money doing something else and I'm going to self-fund it. I want to do <laughs> a show that finds the rednecks in every country. You know what I mean? Like I go and I find the rednecks in France because you know they exist. And I want to show <laughs> the world that this isn't a goddamn Georgia, Tennessee issue. You know what I mean? And first off, it ain't an issue. It's fine. Name name your favorite food from every region. And it was the fucking rednecks that figured it out. Or in ours, the slaves. On it. But like, you know what I mean? Like that's great. They did. They did like they they had to figure it out. It's the it's the it's the it's the people in every culture who had to figure out from less yeah. how to do it. You low know country, what I mean? Like, low country boil, yeah. man. Low country boil. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And and um, that and there's that in Jamaica. There's that in France. There's that in fucking Zimbabwe. Like everybody's got them. So Corey, I was just flipping through Instagram earlier today, and you posted something on your story that said hey, I'm in this movie or something like that. And it's called Edge of Town. Yes. Um, that was news to me. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and when we can expect to see it? Yeah, so the guys that made that, Chris Flippo and my buddy uh, Jeff, they actually went to school with Jeff James. Uh, he was a couple years older than me. Those guys independently ended up going into film and then I into comedy. And a couple years ago, they put out a movie uh, called Down in Yonder, and uh, they asked me, I had, I was living in New York doing comedy. So like I actually hadn't really even sprung out with the well-read shit yet. Like they just knew me and they were like, Hey, we, I think we got this scene that maybe you'd be good in. Um, would you mind filming it with us? And I was like, well, dude, I would, but I'm in New York and I ain't got shit, dude. I, I can't get, just get down there. And they're like, we'll figure it out. So they got up some money and they flew me home and it was great. Cause I got to see, I was like, I'll do it just to see my mom, you know, this would be awesome. So get down there, film the scenes, let me improv a bunch of stuff. And it was super cool. And then a couple years later, they were like, Hey, uh, so we wrote a new movie and you're the main character. Uh, it's, it's based on your character from the last movie. And we really want you to do this. And I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be so awesome. I'll be able to stretch and show my talent, you know, well, scheduling conflicts, ensued and uh, I was working on a pilot with ABC and Disney and I couldn't do the movie but they decided to write me in a couple scenes and I was able to film it in edge of town and uh, it was super fun it was pre-pandemic uh, the trailer's just now coming out but now I just want to let everybody know like you know we weren't like all together on some stupid film set <laughs> during all this like the movie came out or the, I did my scenes 
right, probably right pre-pandemic. And it's it's a great little slice of life movie. Those guys at Syndicate do do a really good job with those. Uh, like I said, Down in Yonder won several awards, so super happy to be doing stuff with them again. And I hope that the next time I don't have scheduling conflicts and I can actually be the star of one of their vehicles. <laughs> well, I know now I do video production too. So I know now I just learned a, a trick, which is go ahead and write the script that you want and tell the person that they're the main character and how they're going to say no. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, but trust me. Trust sounds me. Like a good approach. I wanted to do it. <laughs> I just couldn't. Uh, I literally had a contract and you know how them some bitches are. <laughs> All right, let's do some let's do some rapid fire here to wrap up. I have some sources here that have been I'm supposed to ask you a few questions and we can we can go fairly short on these answers. You can keep it tight if you want. I'd like to know about the incident at the Disney employee store. You've been talking to Trey. A man never reveals his sources, which, by the way, that was where that's me being there is why I couldn't do the movie. So it actually actually goes hand in hand. All right. I fucking hate Trey so much. Uh, so, <laughs> so at Disney, I worked on the Disney lot. It was the coolest thing in the world, right? I lived, I had, when I say I lived in Burbank, I had an Airbnb for like two or three months because I was working on this TV show at Disney. I had my little pass. I go on the lot every day. I worked on Dopey Drive. How cool was that? <laughs> like, I got every day when I walked to my office. I walked past the original sketches of Beauty and the Beast. Like it's it's like as Disney World is to kids, this is the literal Disney World for adults who are in entertainment and want to do cartoons and 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 television. I loved every second of it, except for when they called and said, "We're not going to make your show. You didn't do that movie for nothing." <laughs> I hated that part, but other than that, it was a very joyful experience. Well, one day we were going to the employee store to get a drink and some such. And they, there was a Donald duck notebook. Like it was a notebook and it had like Donald duck on the front of it. But like his, it was one of those situations where like a, he was like almost 3d, like he was coming out of the notebook and it looked really cool. And I wanted it. Cause I needed a new notebook that day. Cause I had filled mine up with stupid jokes. So I go and I put it up there and they're like, uh, Oh, sorry. You can't have this. And I was like, there's a, more like it's not it's not like this is the display one and they're like no this is for cast and crew only and i was like what and they were like yes yeah, for cast and crew like you have to be working on a show here and i was like i i am that's that's why i'm here i was a writer and i didn't have any credentials that said that and look i deep it out i'm not proud of it i'm not <laughs> i'm not proud of having my mariah moment over a fucking donald <laughs> duck notebook <laughs> I was just trying to explain. I'm, I'm sitting there pitching the lady the show that I'm working on to try to explain to her like that I'm actually a fucking writer here. And I left and I basically, I think my last words were to the lady was, listen, listen, I hit, I, but I don't know how to explain it to you, but I do. You'll see one day. You'll see <laughs> over a fucking Donald Duck. I was just so frustrated because uh, just like it's a running theme with me. If I'm not able to accurately express myself, I get a little bit pissy. So it was... <laughs> It was not a good moment. Trey was dying. I walk out and he's dead. I mean, he's 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 hugging a trash can dying because I'm literally throwing a tantrum over a Donald Duck notebook. And I didn't I never wanted to admit that. But I'm also 
Not going to run away from the hard questions. That's not what I'm about either. So, yeah, I acted like a fucking five, literal five-year-old <laughs> over a Donald Duck notebook that I wasn't allowed to have, which, by the way, I still find to be bullshit. It's bigger I, than the notebook for you. Yeah. It, it, but first off, I didn't say, hey, give me this shit. I work here. I was going to give them money. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> like, so so Raven Simone's money is better than mine because she's on the fucking show. Give her the goddamn notebook. Let me buy it. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. And I'm still pretty upset. No, no, it's okay. It's I can't tell. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brian Dennehy? He hits. <laughs> what the- so that story. <laughs> pretty good. That's that story. You snorted. Uh, me and Trey have this thing where like, I don't know if there's, I heard, okay. I heard a line on scrubs last night, actually, that reminded me of this thing that me and Trey do. And it was Jordan talking to her younger sister play or talking with her younger sister played by Tara Reed to JD where she goes, uh, they were at a carnival and she goes, so, all right, we'll see you boys later. We're going to go eat a bunch of fried food and then stand next to the fat bearded lady and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And me and Trey, we always, when we go on the road, we have this thing that we like to call, uh, we go run, which is we ruin ourselves with food. And uh, in order to feel good about ourselves, we lay there in bed together and, <laughs> and we just start listing off people who made it in Hollywood who are fatter than us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and one night we were sitting there and we were in a big suite and Drew was in the other room and me and Trey were in the, in the one room laying on the bed. And we, we went to the, instead of going to a restaurant that day, we went to the Publix, which is right across from our hotel. And we got like all the deli platters and all these sauces. And we made a sandwich bar on the ironing board <laughs> like, and made all these sandwiches. And we were sitting there and we ate them and we were just in pain. And we're sitting there and I'm like, God damn it, son. Whew. We got to quit this shit, man. Like, we want to be on TV. And he goes, ah, man, fucking Brian Dennehy hits. It's all right. Don't worry about it. And then Drew, we we were basically talking about how, like, you know, character actors can be fat. And Drew busts in the door because he's he's super sensitive to sound and he can't sleep. Busts in the door screaming. He goes, hey, you fat fucks. You, you get it, right? You know that you're already character actor fat. Like, you can't go anymore. We're like, ah, whatever, Brian Dennehy. So, rest in peace to Brian Dennehy. But now, now me and Trey, every time we're eating and we're about to eat something that we know is terrible for ourselves, we'll look at each other and just go, Brian Dennehy. And then <laughs> uh, what about Papaw Batman? Papaw Batman. Uh, did you just talk to Trey? I love that. So Papaw Batman, one time, and for the record, the, Drew and Trey have have a hard time understanding when I'm just doing a bit. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be doing a bit, and then it's like, this is what Corey believes forever. I will say, they weren't completely wrong on this one. I posited on an early episode of our podcast that when I turned about 80, 85, and I knew I didn't have a lot of years left, I would turn to vigilante justice. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I feel like I'd get away with it. Like, if there's like a known, you know, child molester or something, I can, as a papaw, go up, take care of that, and then leave. And I've got no motive whatsoever, except for, you know, the several podcasts in which I've laid out my diabolical plan. (laughs) Uh, 
and I'll be fine. They were like, dude, they'd hear the gun. And I was like, no, I'm going to have the cow gun from No Country for Old Men, the pressurized thing. Like, I'll get one of them. Like, it'll be fine. And they told me, like, I'd get caught. And I'm like, how would I get caught? Like, who who's going to go see a, a dead person, random dead person, and be like, we better calling all papaws, calling up. You know, we got to go. We got to go interview the papaws. This is clearly the work of a geriatric vigilante Batman. <laughs> So I was like, I think I could get, I was like, I think I could kill 15 horrible people before I got caught. And they just weren't. And I also said that, you know, I'd like spend those years like addicted to heroin and stuff. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. I probably couldn't do that if I was on heroin. But if I did meth, I could definitely papaw Batman. And they don't think I could do it. They don't, they were like, you're, you're in terrible shape now. You know, like imagine what you're going to be like at 85. But I do think that, if we could go back and have episode two of the Papaw Batman saga, they would have to at least admit that <laughs> I'm in better shape now. I've lost uh, close to 38 pounds since November. I haven't, I haven't drank at all this year. I'm do- I think that I'm going to make it to 85 and I think that I'll be in the type of shape that I will be able to conduct some vigilante justice. You, is all I'm saying. you do know there's probably better drugs for that than meth or heroin, right? Yeah. Not meth, not than meth. Then heroin, yeah, you can't do it on heroin. But I maintain that, like, you don't think there's another drug that, drug that could maybe help you be really quick and Adderall. Skinnier? Oh, I think meth. <laughs> I think I think meth is the choice. Maybe Adderall. I don't know that much about meth. Well, listen. Well, let me tell you, Adderall. All Adderall is is meth for college students. Yeah. It's yeah, the you, same thing. You get more murders done in one week. Yeah. On meth. Yeah. Okay. Than, I, yeah. I guess I need to educate myself more on meth. Yeah, I was gonna say, look, I've done it. So I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do it. <laughs> It's big, it's too big weird about the, my teeth. It's way bigger in the housewife community than, than you think it is, actually. Uh, all right. So oh, yeah. And la- the gay dance club scene. <laughs> Last one you can pick here. Tell us what Puffchaw is or the B. Which one do you want? Puffchaw. So a Puffchaw, God, we're so fat. Me and Trey, <laughs> a Puffchaw. So you know a chaw, like putting in a chaw, sure, like, sure. like you and tobacco. That's how we eat. God. that's how oh, we God. eat Cheetos puffs. <laughs> we put them in and suck them, suck all the juice out. <laughs> or they're curved perfectly. So you throw in a puff chaw and you can enjoy your Cheetos puffs a little bit longer. You get a little bit more mileage out of them. It's just all of these are, I hate, I can't wait. To, we're doing our podcast in like an hour and I can't wait. <laughs> tell him about all this <laughs> well uh we are very very grateful for your time Corey. we, we uh, appreciate all your work keep it up man fighting the good fight we do appreciate it go dogs go we'll dogs get, we'll get kirby a w here man all right I, I hope so and it was very nice to uh talk to you both and i and hey if you'll have me back i'll come Anytime, yeah come on Corey. you made the vein in my head protrude which is normally a good <laughs> sign for you because it means it's funny but bad sign for me oh so, okay i hope there's a fine. weird compliment for you <laughs> well thank you I, listen i'm <laughs> You can ask my wife. I tend to make the vein in women's head protrude from time to time. It's normally not because I was being funny. So, well, so, take uh, take we can get. I finally take it as a compliment. Thank you very much. Well, I, next time we'll ask you about being on cable news, man. Congratulations on all the success. We do appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, uh, obviously, wish you best of luck, man. Keep it up. Thanks, Thanks Corey. Go dogs. Oh, that was Corey Forrester from the Well-Read Comedy Tour. Uh, that's the end of the show, Aaron. I, I don't really think we have to add anything to that. He is. I laughed really hard. He's, he's a funny dude, man. I don't agree with everything he says, but he's a funny dude.
So we don't have to agree with everything he says, but I just right. laughed. Like I like laid back in laughter at one point. So uh, I just want to challenge people to, you know, like you can, you can disagree and then laugh and then come back and be friends and then forget what happened like 30 minutes earlier. Like, it's okay. I'm a, I'm a fan of his comedy. He is extremely funny to me and I'm not good at sympathy laughing. So I hate when I have to do it. And I did not have to sympathy laugh at all. It's comedian. I guess that's to be expected. I will say I might be a bigger fan of his dad for straight up lying to him about the Peyton Manning photo and just sticking by it for his entire life. That's <laughs> funny to me. I, I, switching fam just you you did Johnny Majors wrong. So we're all we're Georgia fans now, boys. <laughs> I, honestly, I respect the shit so, out of them. It's so funny. So <laughs> funny. Oh, that about does it. Special thanks to Jaspers, of course, for sponsoring the show. We appreciate our title sponsor. Please go check it out. Great cocktails on tap, right? They got a te tequila drink that you like on tap that you drink yeah. routinely. They make it fresh every single day, but they still have it on tap because I think they sell that many of them that they just have to crank them out that quickly. But yeah, they make them fresh. Tell everybody the next time you'll be at Jasper so they can all come down and, and, and hang out with you. Um, <laughs> as soon as the as soon as I don't have to put my white tennis shoes in this sludge outside. Ah, fair point. Fair point. This week you sometime. You're such a you're such a metropolitan girl. You downtown girl. I used to be a downtown girl. Now I'm a now I'm out in the burbs. What are you gonna do? I to, yeah, I like being Jaspers. in the middle of the action. Go to Jasper. Yeah, and go to Jasper's. Great food, fantastic place to watch the game. Elevated pub fare, of course, from Four Top Hospitality with Deb Paquette. The menu, it's great. Please go check it out. We appreciate their support, so you should go support them. Aaron, where can everybody find you? Um, Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan or Twitter, uh, the Aaron Dugan. There you have it. And yourself? My, my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports, at 440 Media on Instagram. All those good things. We do appreciate you all listening. We appreciate Corey Forrester and we appreciate Jaspers. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Peace out.